Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Randy Mitchell. Jesus said to his disciples, Ye are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt and Light confronts the difficult and often controversial issues that affect today's culture. The only hope for this generation is for more people to follow Jesus Christ and for his followers to be salt and light in their community. Pastor Randy will discuss the Bible solutions to help us know what God says about the problems we face today. Salt and Light is a ministry of Temple Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. Here's your host, Pastor Randy Mitchell. Randy Mitchell here and Max Robinson. It is a joy to be with you here today on Salt and Light. We have a great, great broadcast today, Brother Max. A lot of variety, some great things. I'm really excited about the topic for today as well as next week. And so we've got some great things to talk about. But before we do that, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's been a busy week, busy day, but yeah. looking forward to doing this show with you today and yeah. seeing what the Lord does. Amen. It's always exciting to be able to talk about uh, what the Scripture says about life and just all the world around us, and it is certainly our hope and desire, folks, that uh, what we talk about today will be a help and a blessing to you. Well, our topic today, and we'll just dive right in here for this segment, is uh, we're going to be talking first of all, about what Christians believe and why we believe it. You know, there's a lot of people that grow up in a, let's say, a Christian environment or a Christian influence, maybe in church or an affiliation with some kind of religion. But, Brother Max, I have discovered that so many people who say they believe in God or have certain belief systems, they really don't know what they believe, and they certainly don't know why they believe it. And we want to talk about that here today. This is the day of relativism. Truth is sub, uh, subjective to um, an authority, I should say. Truth and authority is subjective um, and uh, rather than um, objective, and it's really become kind of a foreign concept. This is nothing new. It was that way in Jesus' days. In fact, when Jesus started going about and teaching what the Scripture says, they said about him, they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. You know, people today, preachers and Christians, what they're saying today has more to do with tradition and cliches and different, you know, some of these are good things and have contained truth, but sadly most Christians today don't really understand that we have an authority as to what we believe and why we believe it. Completely true. <laughs> And it, what you're saying is true. We ha we're in a time where people are definitely looking at things through their own eyes. I mean, the book of Judge Judges, the end, right? Every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. And religion is doing that today, right? And you have different leaders, uh, different people that are involved in different aspects of ministry that are doing things according to their personal ideology. They're interpreting scriptures the way they want to interpret it to suit their ministry or their personal goals with religion mm -hmm. versus like Christ came, because that's what the Jews, uh, the Pharisees in particular, Sadducees, they were teaching according to their ways. Yeah. Well, they had the law. They had the truth. Christ came and just said, hey, this is the truth you've had for centuries. Mm -hmm. This has been delivered from the prophets. It has been given by God direct to man, in some cases repeatedly because they cut it up with knives, they burned it, whatever. 
Right. And he said, it's still here, it's truth, and yes, so he spoke with authority because it was the living word that was being spoken. That is right. He, he was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, Jesus Christ being the author of his word, capital W. And so I'm glad, Brother Max, that we have an authority in the Bible because I, I know I have different, I have days where I feel one way about one thing one day and I feel different about it the other day. I'm changeable, but thank God the word of God is not changeable. Now, people have tried to change it. You know, modern versions change it all the time. Let's make it easier to understand. But I would rather have a document, if you want to call it that, that is accurate rather than have a docu document that's been dumbed down to my understanding. I think that God, I don't think, but I know that God wants to get our understanding up to his level rather than, you know, us dumbing it down so that, and, and really the reality of it is, is even the King James Bible that we use is not difficult to understand. I mean, you just have to have a desire to learn it. Uh, people go to college to learn things that they couldn't understand when they were in seventh grade. Why? Because it's important. Making a living, having an occupation is important. But wouldn't you agree, Brother Max, that eternity, if God is who he says he is and he's our creator and we're all going to stand before him one day and the choices that we make determine whether we go to heaven or hell, I would say that that's far more important than some of the secular education that people pursue passionately, spend, I mean, astronomical, astronomical amounts of money just to, uh, to try to learn things, and yet we've got the words of God right here, and people just kind of dismiss it like it's not that important. And we have a beautiful book, obviously, with the Bible God has given us, and it is with authority he's done. And like you mentioned, our eternity, there is nothing more critical. And if we are a people that we need assurance of what our eternity is, God's given us a written document, giving us assurances, given us the path for that, we need to preserve it. He said he would preserve it because it's important, and we should want a whole preserved book for that sake. I mean, it is important. We do the same thing with purchase a home, right? We want a deed that is spelled out specifically every inch of what we have. We want spelled out every interest of ours. We want it defined. People that go into contracts for work, they want everything done. Well, why wouldn't we want that from God in his word? He's promised it. He's given it. Why do so many go to undermine and remove those things? And, and that's why having an authority and having a pure Bible is so important because, you know, if you start changing words, words change meanings. And if something in the Bible's been changed, how do we know that other things haven't, haven't been changed? If they change one area that we say, well, that's not significant, how do we know or have confidence that John 3.16 is true? We need to know that we have the authority that came from God, and that's really the basis of what makes us Christians, of what we believe and why we believe it. Now, some people, they want everything to be just black and white and absolute, and they want a, you know, a, a seven uh, list, a thing of seven things that they can say, this is what makes me a Christian, but it's not that simple. Now, the Christian life is not complicated, but there are a lot of things in this book that God wants us to know. 
And while not everything that we understand from the Bible is absolute, that doesn't mean that nothing is absolute in the Scripture. The majority of what we read is absolute, and people want to change that. And really, the Bible doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. You know, God's given us plenty of absolutes, and people start choking over the things that they don't understand, and then they avoid the Bible, and they avoid the 95% of the Bible that's easy to understand that we need just because they stumble over something that, well, I just read something and I, I don't understand it. But if we will be persistent and patient, continue reading the Bible, then we will continue to learn and grow. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will help us put these things together so that we can understand. And once we understand, praise the Lord, we can believe and we can become the Christians that God wants us to be. Now, when we come back from the break, Brother Max, we're going to talk about what makes us a Christian so that we can follow the teaching and authority of the Bible. talking about what makes us Christians, what we believe, and why we believe it. In the previous segment, Brother Max, we talked about the authority of the Scripture. And as we, as we go further in this topic, it's important that we understand that just believing the Bible or reading the Bible doesn't make us a Christian. What makes us a Christian is obeying the gospel that we read about in the Scripture. And that gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have been born again. Now, culture and religion are a very different thing from regeneration. So there are plenty of people out there that claim to be Christians because they believe in God, they believe in the Bible, they believe in Jesus, but they've never truly been born again. And Jesus said clearly in John chapter number 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that regeneration is something that God does on the inside of the heart. Now, you can follow a Christian religion and do all of the do's and don'ts, and you can follow those teachings, and you can faithfully attend a church, but that in and of itself doesn't make you born again. You have to have a personal uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And Christians aren't Christians just simply because of how we live our lives. We're Christians because Jesus has saved us and changed us. had an opportunity to talk to some uh, young parents, some young fathers here the other day, um, and uh, that's the main thing that I wanted to emphasize to them, that hey, it's not just about doing good or going to church. It's about a personal relationship in Jesus Christ. And to the true Christian, that needs to be our identity. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9 says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, I took a little bit of liberty with that text, and instead of saying you, I said us, because I'm not trying to change the scripture. I'm just trying to uh, get our listeners to understand that we're talking about those of us that are Christians. This is what we're supposed to be. Now, obviously, Brother Max, people who are listening that aren't Christians, we certainly want to say something or do something that God would use so that they would say, hey, I need to become a Christian and I want to become a Christian. But in the meantime, we want to make sure that we understand the difference between 
true Christianity, being born again, and that that's just in name only, following a Christian type of religion. You can be religious and still be lost. And I think that that's uh, probably a, a major factor in the decline of our nation is we've just got too many people that profess to be Christians, but if you really pin them down, they have no idea what they believe and why they believe it, and more importantly, they have never been born again. So what do we believe? Why do we believe it? Next week, Brother Max, we're going to be talking about convictions and standards, but until we get there, I think that it's uh, important that we address the fact that too often us Bible-believing Christians, that we get a bad rap. We're not victims, mind you, but we get a bad rap and we get accused of being, you've all heard this, holier than thou, legalistic. Um, people who believe like us have been called haters. You know, just simply if you, if a preacher preaches about hell or sin or calls things sin that the Bible calls sin, he gets accused today of being a hater. And you know, under that definition, Jesus himself would be classified a hater today, the things that he taught and said while he was alive and ministering. But people don't recognize that. Why? Because they're not in the Bible themselves. That's why it's so imperative that we not only have the right authority, but that we also study it and read it for ourselves. Now, I'm sure you've experienced this, Brother Max, that if you are living according to the authority of God's word, that means you're going to do things differently than the world around us and even people who profess to be Christians. And if you have a higher standard or you have a belief that they say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that, we have to be prepared for the microscope because that's what happens. They start looking at our lives and, and just nitpicking and scrutinizing any inconsistency because they perceive us having a standard or living a higher level of Christianity than they do. And the only way that they can satisfy their conscience is to find something to accuse us of. Now, it's interesting, we get called the Pharisees, but that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus when he was alive and ministering. They were just looking for something that they could pin on him that was inconsistent. And of course, he always knew how to handle things. I, I wish I could handle people the way that he did. He'd leave them with their jaw dropped. And, you know, for me, I'm not much of an arguer or a debater. And usually I just kind of listen and <laughs> figure, okay, God, you, you got to do something here. But uh, I'm sure you've experienced some of these same things. I, I have. And, you know, to go back a little bit with where you started with, it absolutely matters. I mean, when we're looking at these things, what we believe. The we keep going back to Jesus' time, of course, because this is centric about him. It's he's to have the preeminence. Salvation's based on what he did, his finished work, his death, burial, and resurrection. But when he came and he taught with authority and declared things, the religionists of that day, the Pharisees, it's not that they didn't believe in a Messiah. They just didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah. Yeah. They didn't believe this son of Joseph, this carpenter's son, this guy that's from Nazareth was the Messiah. They, they believed in a Messiah. It was no doubt. They believed in they a They wanted one that fit in their box. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and so we see that today. There's people that believe in Christ, but they believe in a Christ that they've put together. Well, it does matter what you believe. And it matters that we believe in the Jesus Christ that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
right? He is the Son of God. He is the living Word. He is the living waters. He is the bread of life. He is God manifest in the flesh. He came and died. The other part of that is it drives into where you're going is, why do we believe in him? Well, we're sinners in need of a Savior. We're lost in our sins. We are headed for a devil's hell, rightly so, because we have sinned. Christ came, paid that penalty, only him, none other. Amen. And so we have to have that trust and faith in him. It's paramount. You can't erode that. And so anytime religion, like the Pharisees have done, and we see in our day, they have a Christian-esque thing, but, you know, well, we need to get baptized, and we need to do these things, and we need to do that. Well, now we're eroding the finished work of Jesus Christ. Only his blood was sufficient. Only he could redeem. Only he could justify. We can only be sanctified by him. All these paramount doctrinal truths are all contingent or hinge on what he did. Amen. Amen. That's great, brother. Now, you might remember this back in the, I think it was the 80s, and this was when I first got right with the Lord. There was a saying that people would say, if you, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And, you know, just that, that idea is convicting because, yeah, we are all going to stand before God. And what we say, if our life, if our walk doesn't match our talk, well, God's going to know all of those inconsistencies. And, you know, there are a lot of people who say that they know the Lord and that they're saved. Well, I'm okay. I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty good person and so forth. But does, does your testimony, will it survive the test of the Scripture? You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So God says we're supposed to examine whether we are in the faith. And most believers will not subject themselves to that kind of an examination. They just want to stick their head in the sand and pretend that they're okay and not face the reality of God's word. Now, if someone is truly born again, the Bible says that we will have a changed life. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That doesn't mean that we are a new creation. Some of the modern versions of the Bible change that word. We are still the, the old self. We're still creatures. And so doesn't mean that we're perfect or sinless. But I will say this, Brother Max, when I got my heart right with the Lord, Back in 1986, it didn't make me perfect, but it changed my life. It changed my heart. God gave me some new desires. I used to just endure and dread going to church, and my heart changed instantly in that now I was sad when the sermon was over. didn't matter how long the, the pastor preached. It was new. It was fresh. It was food to my soul, and I'm eating it up and soaking it up, and I was excited about the things that Previously, I had little interest in at all, and that was because of that changed life that God did in me and through me and for me, and I'm so thankful for that. So other than a changed life, what are some other evidences that somebody has truly been born again? Well, we can go through several in Scripture, and one, obviously, in Galatians 5, we're going to produce fruit. 
But it's not just a matter of us producing fruit, right? That's going to be evidence. But the fruit that we do, that it's supposed to be unto God, there's a lot of good works that are being done. Okay, there is. There are people that do good, but is it for God? Mm-hmm. Is it for that purpose of my love and desire to please and serve God? Wasn't that a fundamental issue with Cain and Abel? Right? Abel yeah. wanted to come with a sacrifice that pleased God. He wanted to live his life and do that would please God. Well, Cain was going to do some sacrifice. He was doing his thing his way, right? He was going to he was doing good and until it was quality. He, yeah, until he whacked his brother, right? He was doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't under God. His heart wasn't there. And so the things that we do in this life and as a Christian evidence it's going to be our desire. You have children, I have children, isn't it? When they're young and even when they get older, we, we do see those times where they want to please their parents, right? And they're doing that. I want to please mom and dad. I love mom and dad. I want to please them. That is an aspect and evidence of our Christian life. We're putting down self to please God. That is right. And, you know, just as we wrap up this segment, there are other things. Uh, the Bible says that the Christian life is a chastised life, that God will take us. He's our Heavenly Father. He'll take us behind the woodshed. And then I wanted to mention, too, before we move to a different segment, and that is this, that the Christian life is a church life. Going to church doesn't get you saved, but I tell you what, the Bible says that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Somebody who says, I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, but they don't like being around Christians, something's drastically wrong with their heart. All right, we're going to change gears here this morning, and we're going to talk about something that is kind of a, not only a current event, but this is something that's been going on here in the world around us for quite some time. Most Christians here in America are unaware of what other believers have to go through in other parts of the world. And sometimes we think, well, this goes back to the dark ages, but it's a very real thing that is going on in the world today, and that is Christian persecution. And so, Brother Max, I'm going to turn this segment over to you as we talk about what's going on in the world around us that Christians need to know, and we need to know how to deal with it, and we certainly need to be prepared in case these type of things start coming our way. And persecution is obviously nothing new. It has been going on since the days before Christ, right? The, he, he taught and said... You murdered the prophets. So those that have stood and did right, Abel, we mentioned him in the previous segment as well. He was a, he was a, a, a preacher of righteousness in sense. He was taking a stand. He was martyred for his faith and trying to do right with God. And, mm-hmm. and you've seen that through clear biblical history. And I, I want to read a few verses, if I may, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, uh, some things that our Savior was teaching and actually uh, trying to impart some things for all those that would put their faith and trust in him, take up their cross and follow him and live for him. He warned them that these things may take place. And, and I know during the tribulation, there's going to be great persecution of those that endeavor to follow the Lord. You know, 
uh, the attacks that are going to happen on the two witnesses, 144,000, and those that are going to try and, and, and stay faithful, endure to the end for Christ, are going to go through unimaginable things and hardship. And an untold amount will be beheaded just for their faith in Jesus exactly. Christ. And so in, in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 17, it says, But beware of men. And it's interesting, men. Uh, men can be such enemies. One of the things that has fascinated me through the study of history and even war times is how cruel men can be and the devices they can think of to actually afflict pain and punishment on people. Mm. And the Lord says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up, in, up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. And so the Lord teaches us that, yes, there's going to be times, there's going to be those, some, not everybody, not everybody suffers severe persecution. I mean, the gospel can continues to go on, but one thing is true through persecution seen in Acts in the early church, the gospel went forward mightily. It doesn't suppress it. Mm -hmm. There is a good outcome of it. And this history of persecution has been documented. We, I know you've studied it there, and others probably listening have studied as well, that there are are accounts of uh, the early apostles, uh, the disciples, and the manner and deaths in which they faced, right? Mm -hmm. And they suffered martyrdom. We see that with James in the books of Acts, etc. But there's also some long histories, books you're familiar with, that I'd encourage our listeners, get these books and read them. Fox's Book of Martyrs, classic book. There's mm -hmm. Martyr's Mirror. There's the Cross and the Crown. And these give such a deep rich history of those that have lived for Christ, tried to stay true to his word, to the true gospel. And the thing that, which I'm sure you might, you've studied church history, for those in these situations, there's the Vaudois, there's the English martyrs, there's the French Huguenots. Through history, these men and women that have gone through, in almost every case, it was religion and in some cases, or many cases, under the guise of Christianity that were destroying Christians that were staying true. Religion, Christian religion, in name only, right. not following true to the things of God, were the ones that were going forward and persecuting men and women burned at the stake, right? All these different things that were taking place through history. Mm -hmm. Well, I know, Brother Max, that people in church history, and, you know, we have different labels. We have so many different churches today that would be classified as Christian churches. We have various denominations. Ever since the Protestant movement, there have been so many different movements and church names and so forth. But people who believe like you and I believe in church history, they weren't always labeled the same, and they didn't necessarily believe everything specifically the way that we do. But people who believe the Bible, rather than tradition or rather than an organized peer group of religionists, they were traditionally and historically persecuted. And like you said, some of the cruelty 
that has been dished out upon religious believers is far more than what's ever happened in war and so forth. Some of that persecution and torture and punishment and suffering has been just, you can't even imagine it. And folks, you ought to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a, it used to be one of the better selling books besides the Bible. It was one of the best selling books of all history. And sadly, people today don't know the history and persecution has come from all different sources. Early on with the apostles, it was from the, the Roman government. It was often from the Jewish established religionists. Of course, the apostle Paul was previously Saul of Tarsus, and he persecuted those who followed Jesus Christ. Later on, after about 300 AD, when the so-called Christian church became organized and kind of married with the world under Constantine, all of a sudden now Constantine, who was the emperor, said, okay, we're all Christians. But it was a blending, an amalgamation of Christian religion and terminology with paganism, and that formed what, uh, and, and listen, I, I mean no offense to anyone, but historically speaking, the fact of the matter is, is that was the formation of what we know today as the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, early, in, early on in the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, they were huge persecutors and torturers of people who uh, rejected them as the only church, who believed like you and I do, Brother Max. I'm not saying that that goes on today. I think there's an element of that in some of the third world countries that are controlled by that particular religion. And, and, you know, we've, we've all known missionaries and people, Christians, that have lived in different places like uh, the Philippines and some of the Latin American countries that they have endured great persecution because they don't conform to that particular church. Of course, the religion of Islam has been great persecutors of the Christian church and particularly people who... I believe like you and I do that we should be preaching the gospel to every creature and so forth. That's just the history of it. But sadly, we don't know that history and uh, uh, we are doomed to repeat those same mistakes if we don't understand. And being a Christian in America today, Brother Max, we may have people that don't like us, but we don't have to worry about persecution. And persecution is not a good thing. I don't wish it on us or anyone else. But I do know this, that uh, because of the culture of Christianity in America, the churches are filled with people who really, I don't think they really have a whole lot of heart belief. And if persecution ever came, I think we'd find that many of them would just kind of flee and say, well, it's not that important. I'm just going to stay safe and keep my religion and my faith to myself and when we do that it's not a true real faith through time and history as well for the true church and i think it's, we need to make that distinction because so many that are critical of christianity they look at the atrocities of church christianity and they they put it all in one one lump, right? Mm -hmm. The church is only those that are saved. It is those that are true to this book, this book that we have. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is the head. There is no pope. There is no bishop. There is no other person or entity or denomination or board that is the head of the church. The church head is Jesus Christ.
That's what makes true Christianity distinct, right? And sets it apart from other religions. Christ is the head. He's given us his word. He's told us the truth. He's the one that gave his life for it, right? He died for it. He gave himself for the church. So we follow him in that light. And through history, there's been these atrocities of, of, of religion against others. And the thing that you can see in uh, that it's common or a thread through that is the attack on this book. For those that would have this book, mm -hmm. look at John Huss, right? Classic example. Look at Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. The persecution, the sufferings he went to speak truth, to hold true to the Word of God. Those that endeavored, again, I've mentioned the Vaudois, their adherence to the truth and wanting the Word of God, wanting to live free, wanting to be to themselves, teaching their families the truth of Jesus Christ, but they were attacked by religion in the name of Christianity, but it was men. It was men. It was not God. It was not those that were truly born again, because any truly born again believer would not do such things to another person. Is that what God commanded the Christian to do? He said, he came in the world not to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. Any act of aggression from Christian to others is not of God. We're to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think, Brother Max, that a lot of that is a testimony that they really down deep don't believe in the God that they say they believe in. You know, it's just like back in the Old Testament, the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You know, at some point it had to be, look, if Baal is real, let him deliver you. Let him show himself strong, but he's not real. And so a lot of times people think, I've got to take matters into my own hands because they've not experienced or seen the miraculous working of God. And we know that through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit can change lives. And it's not our job to, you know, the Bible says to earnestly contend for the faith, but it's not our responsibility to defend the faith. God's perfectly able to defend himself if he wants to. He can get through to someone, and if he wants to work in their hearts, it's just our job to shine the light, tell people about the love of God, and then we don't have to worry about it. Let God take care of it. Stay out of his way. Problem with humankind is we have to take control. We have to think, we think we have to make something happen. And all that does is just show that the God we say we believe in, we don't really trust that he is as powerful as he says that he is. I'm thankful that he worked in my life, and it's those things that have kept me going through tough times to know I can't, can't explain away the supernatural work of God that he did in my heart, and that makes me want to serve him and trust him. And the more that we trust him and serve him, the more that we see his power working in our life. This is our final segment here of Salt and Light for today, and we are going to once again change gears a little bit, Brother Max, and we're going to talk about a what I think will hopefully be a helpful topic, and we want to talk to you folks about the subject of indecision. Now, 
I am not, I'll be honest with you and the listeners, Brother Max, and that I am not the most decisive person. I Sometimes I have a hard time making decisions that have potential consequences. Now, being a pastor, being a husband, being a father, you know all about this, that with those decisions, there's great responsibility. And the decisions that we make, they determine the outcome of our life. And I don't know about you, but I've made some really, really bad decisions before. And that it's kind of like once you get burned, you're a little bit a little bit shy of getting around the fire. And I certainly have been that way. And making decisions has never been my forte, but I have learned that I have to be able to trust the Lord and I have to learn how to make decisions and put things in God's hands. And one thing that I want to point out, probably this is the most important thing this morning, folks, is that indecision, not making a decision, is a decision in and of itself. And so often we think that, hey, if I don't make any decision, then I'm relieved of any responsibility or consequences. But sometimes, in fact, most of the time, a non-decision can be the worst decision that we ever make because there are consequences in not making a decision just like there are in making decisions. I'm sure that you've experienced some of the same things. That's very true. It's, you know, we can't live our life that uh, we think that by not doing something, even with our children, for, for those, we have that responsibility for training. We're teaching. We're being that example. And we say, well, I, I, I'm not doing any of that. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do it wrong. But not doing it is doing something, and it's doing wrong. It's creating hurt. It's creating problems. And not making a decision when you need to, is there is still that accountability. There's still an outcome. There's still going to be results. And so it's not a, indecision is not a passive thing that does not end up with some consequences. Yeah. Have you ever thought about this, and, and I don't like playing kitchen table psychologist, but it, there is a psychology behind this indecisiveness, and I've had to look in the mirror and examine why do I have a hard time making these, these decisions, and really it comes down to a spirit of fear, and this, this idea that, hey, everything that I do uh, has to be perfect, and uh, if it's not perfect, then I'm not going to do anything. And, of course, the, the root of that, I, I think that we need to make quality decisions and right decisions. I'm not saying that we become lackadaisical about that. I'm just simply saying that in life, we don't know the outcome. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And too often, we feel like we're hanging on to some kind of a control by not doing anything when really... All we're doing is relinquishing that control. Uh, I can remember years ago there was um, there was a gentleman who was um, uh, he was going into surgery and it was going to be a very very serious surgery and so it was presented to him about having a living will. Well, when you have a living will, you basically spell out this is what I want to happen if this happens. You know, you you have that control over saying that uh, if these are my vital signs, then I want you to revive me and do this. And if this is the case, then I want you to just let me go. And you can really spell out kind of a flow chart of what you want to happen. But ultimately, at the bottom line of that document of a living will, you have to sign your name. And this this gentleman, it's like, no, I can't sign my name to that because signing that document created a feeling like I'm losing control when the reality of it is is 
that was maintaining control where I have control and I can make the decision what happens to me. If I don't sign that, then somebody else is going to have to make that decision. And so the pressure is on them rather than on me. Right. And it's just interesting. So often in life, we feel that making a decision that we're losing control, but the reality of it is not making a decision is losing control. And oftentimes in life, a no decision can be the worst decision that we ever make. I agree. And we, you know, we started the, you mentioned in the last segment, I should say, about Elijah. And there he is with the people of Baal and those who would be the people of God, right? And he says, how long stand ye, right? And halt between two opinions. You, you need to make a decision. We're going to trust God or not. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was a young person, there was a, a set of Western books I enjoyed reading. And they were, you choose your own adventure. So you read so far, and then at the end of that chapter, you had to decide, you had to make a decision. And if you made decision A, you went to this page. If you made decision B, you'd go to this page. Well, I, I always wanted the best outcome. So I cheated. I, I would look and see, okay, how does that end? You know, do I, I fall in a ravine and die, or do I end up over here doing well, right, and find the pot of gold? And so I would try to look ahead and then make my path. Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if we trust God wholly with our heart and follow him, that is the same, that is equal or better footing. We can trust God with everything we have. Be led by the Spirit, make a decision to follow him, right, consistent with his word, and just go with the Lord in these things. And so often, all we care about is the outcome, and you know, God sometimes looks at it and he sees it differently. I've made decisions, Brother Max, that the outcome was not what I expected, but long-term looking back, I could look back and I say, you know what, God, I was in the will of God when I made that decision. I followed the principles of God's Word. I followed the Holy Spirit's leadership to the best of my ability. We don't always get that tuned in just perfectly. I wish we did, but I did the best that I could to follow scriptural principles. I made the decision, and the outcome was not as favorable as I had hoped for. And I could look back and I say, you know what, the Lord led me into that because he had something more important that he wanted me to accomplish or he wanted to accomplish in me than just the results of that decision being favorable. He wanted to do something to change me. And oftentimes the Lord will lead us into a situation that we would not find favorable, but he can look and say, this is what you need to become more like me, something to help make me, uh, I guess, better than what I am and better being more like Jesus Christ. Not, I'm not talking self-help or self-improvement here. I'm talking about that process in which God works in our life and as we grow up and mature. And a lot of times as parents, we, have, we make decisions that are going to cause our children to be uncomfortable. Why? Because we know that that is what's best for them. They need to learn those things, and just creating an environment of comfort and peace and safety isn't always the best thing for learning. Obviously, when they're real little, that's what we want, but as they grow up, we have to kind of turn loose a little bit, let them scrape their knees, let them stub their toes, let them 
you know, learn some things on their own. And my experience is that God's done the same thing in my life. And even if, perchance, I make a decision that I look back, it's like, that was not a very wise decision. Even then, God's grace has always been sufficient. And he's always, I may have to suffer a little bit from it, but God always worked that together for good in my life. I thank God that the direction of my life is dependent more upon God than just every decision that I make. But that certainly doesn't minimize making good and right decisions. You know, a few years ago, and I know you're familiar with this too, you know, my wife and I, we made a, deci- a life decision, you know, to uh, go and serve in a particular area. And and it was it was difficult. It was challenging. And, and maybe the outcome wasn't the best for us. But we've been reminded, and I think this is important for many of us to remember, it's not just about us, but others that were impacted by that decision, trusting God and how better their life is and how they're going for the Lord and how their families have been put together. It's, it's not always just about us. And God can lead, and that's why we do need to trust Him, and that's why we do need to pray and ask Him, in our decisions because there are other lives at stake and souls that may come to Christ, others that are going to be impacted for good by these decisions. Yeah, you know, we can't presume it upon God to bless every decision that we make because sometimes, and I know I have, I've made some foolish decisions and I had to reap the consequences of that. But thank God, in spite of that, Romans 8.28 says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So thank God we've got that safety net. So we don't have to have this paralysis by analysis. Yeah, we need to follow the scripture. We need to ask the Lord for wisdom. And like you said in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, not lean to our our own understanding, but trust him. But we can trust him. And it's not all dependent upon us. It's dependent upon him. And folks, we want to leave you here today. And we do thank you for being part of the Salt and Light broadcast today. And we want to leave you with this concept that making a not, or not making a decision is not going to relieve you of the eternal consequences. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. You have a responsibility. You can either accept it or reject it. And a no decision is a uh, or a non-decision is a no decision. And so there are many many people that are going to be in hell, not because they said no to Jesus, but because they said not yet. We hope you have a great day, and God bless you. We appreciate you taking the time to join us at Salt and Light. It is our desire that you experience the joy of following Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he died on the cross for your sins. He will give you hope, peace, and eternal life, if you will repent of your sins and trust him as your savior. You may see yourself as a good person, but you will never be good enough to deserve heaven. You may see yourself as bad, but you can never be too bad for Jesus to forgive you. You can call upon him to save you this very moment. If you are a born again Christian, we wanna encourage you to obey Christ's command and be salt and light to those around you. We encourage you to find a Bible-believing church that does not compromise or water down the Bible. Get involved serving the Lord. 
If you have a Bible question or a particular issue you would like us to discuss on Salt and Light, visit our website at templebaptistnc.com. Click on the Salt and Light link. Once again, that's templebaptistnc.com. 